All right, guys, on today's episode, I talked with Professor Nathan Jenkins. He works in the exercise phys department at UGA at the University of Georgia. He's also been a contributor to the CrossFit Journal and is working on some stuff for specific exercise phys courses for CrossFit. So we had a really, really uh, fun conversation. It was a little bit nerdy. So for those of you that like to talk about metabolic pathways and things like that, um, tune in, take some notes in there. But largely what we talked about is trying to figure out better ways to bridge the gap between academia and practitioners. And uh, Nate is no better person to do that because he teaches CrossFit in his college level courses uh, with regard to strength and conditioning um, and exercise fizz. So it was a really fun conversation. He's an incredibly smart guy and doing some really cool stuff. So here's my interview with Professor Nathan Jenkins. All right, everybody, welcome back to the best hour of their day. Fern here. I am here with Professor, with Professor Nathan Jenkins. Uh, he's been a contributor to the journal. Uh, he's doing some stuff uh, for some of the course curriculum for the level one, level two, level three kind of pipeline that we have. And uh, I think he's just a really interesting guy with regard. Mike G turned me on to him. Uh, you know, he uh, lives in Athens, Georgia, where he's a professor there in the exercise phys department. Uh, he's a great Dane owner, which I was for a long time. I lived in Athens, so uh, lots, lots in come here. So thanks for your time, brother. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Um, so real quick. So how... you're, you're probably very much an, outs, an outsider when it comes to you're a professional in the exercise phys world. You, you teach exercise phys at the university level, but are obviously an avid lover of CrossFit. You've yeah. got to be like the black sheep. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, I have very, I have some things in common with my colleagues in terms of, you know, how we teach our classes and um, actually a lot of our fundamental approaches to physiology and how we do our research. But um, I am definitely not part of the mainstream when it comes to uh, how I think about exercise and how I think exercise ought to be prescribed and how it, and versus how it is currently prescribed and how like a lot of our messaging about <clears throat> like exercise recommendations and guidelines and so forth for the last 20 years. Um, I've come to a very, very different place than again, like the mainstream uh, I, like ideology in our field. And that is largely through CrossFit and how that evolution has happened. And I think that's a real sh kind of long, but short way of saying that that's, that's how I ended up here, I guess. Um, how yeah. I know a lot of people in the CrossFit space is through some of the ideas that I have about it and, and some of the stuff I put out there on social media and so forth. And um, just some people I've gotten to meet and interact with. So, uh, so yeah, I'm very, I'm very different from the, at your average exercise physiology professor. Is that a, is that a pretty contentious, place to be like like what is that like in in the halls of university or are, are there do people just kind of give you the stink eye and they're just like oh it's the crossfit guy yeah. <laughs> um if i get the stink eye it's like oh crap that's the guy that will not shut the fuck up about CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> uh i've heard enough of your episodes to know i can say that on here yeah that's um, yeah, fine <laughs> um no uh you know what i think there is not quite sufficient awareness yet of the things that I'm doing, at least in the, um, like amongst like my colleagues, for example, mm -hmm. they know that, that I do CrossFit. They now know in 2019 what CrossFit is and I can have a conversation about it with me and like probably just in general, cause that's, that's, that's a lot to do to the growth of CrossFit as well, I think. 
the, the evolution and, and expansion of understanding of what CrossFit is, I've seen it change a lot and I haven't been doing CrossFit all that long. I just started in 2015. Okay. Um, so pretty new CrossFitter in the, in the grand scheme of things. So, so were um, you, were you teaching at, well, let me ask the first question. Have you done, have you taken the level one course? I have. Yep. Uh, so you definitely, you definitely yeah. strike me as you definitely strike me as a person who sits in there and is listening to the, what is fitness lecture. And is just like, this is it. This is what I've been yeah. looking for. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Actually, well, definitely. Uh, in the lecture, I'll ne like, I'll never forget it. You know, like, especially like the part where, um, you guys talk about like intensity is exactly equal to power, right? That's a concept that resonates very deeply with me on multiple levels. And is like the, the heart of actually the research that we're doing in my lab right now. It's, it's yeah, absolutely. For sure. Um, the, 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 with the moment you're talking about like that this is it actually was before that when like in the first year or two i was doing crossfit and i just like immersed myself in all the stuff that greg and others but mainly greg has written in the crossfit journal about basically what i think of as crossfit science mm -hmm. um and and applying concepts of physics and like kinematics to uh human human movement and presenting for example a, a scientifically useful definition of fitness that was the time and you guys can hear my dogs crashing around in the background. I'm sorry. <laughs> that, was, that was the time uh, that I had that like, holy crap, this is actually what I've been looking for and been thinking things I've been thinking about, but haven't quite been able to crystallize conceptually until then. And so, yes, that, that, that moment has happened for me and it continues to actually happen. So here's what I don't particularly understand. And you might be able to help me just because you, you're in that world. You know, I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to to be obviously heavily immersed in the course curriculum. So I teach the level one and the level two course. And I, I, I struggle to understand why people are so adverse to CrossFit when the literature, at least in my mind, is so profound and, and largely objective, right? So it is, it is you know, and everybody who, who's ever heard Coach Glassman speak knows how he feels about science and data and objective measure of measurable observable repeatable data that being said from from your experience what is the the sticking point for people kind of buying in on it uh, i guess we have to qualify that like right now in 2019 or historically because i think the answer to that has evolved and is changing I think well, feel free to talk about both. Yeah. I mean, I'll start with what I understand. Like I'll start with, so when I started CrossFit in 2015, it was after a year of, or maybe six months or so of contemplating before I even decided I was going to do it. The stimulus from that contemplation was, uh, I had students in the exercise physiology class I was teaching at the university come up to me after class one day. It's like, Hey, what do you think about CrossFit? And I was like, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I had heard the term, and was generally familiar with people like flipping tires and climbing ropes and stuff, but didn't really know enough about it to give an intelligent answer. So I went back to my office or back home or whatever and looked it up and just like read, read I went to CrossFit.com, I'm sure. I don't remember exactly what I saw, but just tried to learn a little bit more about it. And I'll tell you my initial gut reaction to what I was understanding about CrossFit at that time uh, was, was an adverse response, like you're describing, like skepticism, uh, doubt, concern. So the concern was, okay, that's a good way to get injured really fast. 
Mm -hmm. And this is not for the average person. This is not something that anyone that's just like off the street that we need to get more physically active to, to get healthier, to prevent chronic disease, which by the way, that is historically for the last 10 plus years, my main research interest is exercise for the prevention and treatment of chronic disease. Um, so at that time it was like, no way, this would never work. However, for me too, I'm also, I'm a trained scientist, right? And a, a part of like a, a learned reflex, it was not a natural reflex, but a learned reflex for me professionally is anytime that I'm presented with something that is runs counter to my, um, my preconceived notions that runs uh, different from like the hypothesis that I would naturally have, I need to like look into that a little bit more, right? I need that, that is actually, it's my scientific duty to examine it. Uh, because my natural inclination is to just dismiss it right away, like knee-jerk reaction dismiss. So that was what I was doing with CrossFit. And I was like, wait a minute, but there was, there's, there's maybe something to it then. And then after thinking about it a little bit more, there was also um, a lot to like about it from a science, like you said, objective uh, scientific perspective, which is it's there, it goes back 40, 50 years in the research literature, the concept that intensity is the most important element of the training stimulus. Like if you've got intensity, frequency, duration, overall volume, and the intensity is, over, is more important than all the other ones. Um, you can train two days a week and get the same adaptation as if you train five days a week, as long as those two days a week are going really, really hard. Like that's something that goes, that concept goes back to, there's great classic studies of this in the, like from the 1960s that support that idea. And so it's like, okay, well this is really cool. There's intensity there. And then the other part that was unique to me a unique observation where it was like, wow, those movements, they describe them as functional movements. And I can actually see that. I mean, you don't have to be trained as a, you have to have a PhD to appreciate the um, transfer of skill that I, I wouldn't use this term at the time, but the transfer of skill from a deadlift to carrying groceries, right? Like mm -hmm. that, that's obvious. And it's like, wow, okay. So that's getting more and more people to kind of do that stuff. So let me think about this. So anyway, long story short is like um, after contemplating it um, again, Initiate the initial thing was from a student, a couple of students who were in my class came up to me after class asking me these questions. I wanted to give them an answer. Uh, looked into it for myself. I was like, damn, this is really cool. Uh, I want to think about this. So then I committed to uh, the year 2015 was my year of CrossFit. I was going to try it, but not just try it for a week because if you can't, you can't just try something as yeah. complex as this methodology and sit for like two days and say, oh, I'd like it or I don't. Uh, my minimum was going to be three months. And I was like, you know what? If I'm really going to do this, I need to try it for a year. So that's what I set out to do. And it took, <laughs> here we are, <laughs> five years. <laughs> up, it'll, five, it'll be five years in January 2020. Well, uh, so okay. you brought up a, a very, very good point, which is, A, and we talk about this at the seminars, is the vast majority of these things are not new concepts, right? Intensity is not a new concept. Functional yeah. movements are not a new concept. Compound yet irreducible. All the things that we talk about at the mm -hmm. level one and the level two are not new concepts. Mm -hmm. At least in my experience, and I think I'm going on 12 years, is there's the massive misunderstanding and disconnect is around the intensity portion. Like everybody's yeah. on board with, hey, functional movements are good. You know, mm -hmm. we, we need variants in order to be well-rounded. Mm -hmm. But again, going back to, uh, nobody really defined things 
like yeah. at least in my opinion as well as coach glassman did and well, it's like sure. it's like they just heard it and then just skipped all of the important parts like intensity is the independent variable most commonly associated with maximizing mm-hmm. rate of return on favorable adaptation right. it's like nobody knows that 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 he wrote that or that he wrote right. the what is fitness article and that to me is like the real challenging part is like you're not doing your due diligence you just you just crafted opinion based on on nothing you right. know um Yes. So the, the huge problem in our field is uh, lack of definition of terms that we just throw around and use all the time. Um, and that that's led to a lot of perpetuation of ideas that are better described as like confusion than actual ideas, <laughs> um, so like confusion that compounds on itself. Um, and uh like yeah, well so like what like is there something specific so like the 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 title of your article that you wrote in the journal the journal is what exercise fizz could learn from crossfit so right. like you right. talk about a little bit in there but i don't know mm-hmm. if you were going to talk about something more specific um well like to to your point a minute ago about intensity for example like what is intensity and our, our field has really when i say our field like the academic exercise science has really doubled down on the VO2 max and everything as a, as a, if we're going to quantify relative intensity, it, everything is expressed as a percentage of VO2 max. And from that concept, then we, we, tra- so it turns out if you tell somebody to go exercise at 55% of their VO2 max at moderate intensity for 20 minutes, they don't know what that means. So that was, <laughs> that's right. So that was the, what, how the ACSM's guidelines were written in the 90s. It was like, mm-hmm you know, this is what people need to do. And then they realized nobody understood that. So they modified those guidelines. Sorry, man. One second. I gotta yell at these dogs. No, no, you're good. Hey, Brutus, chill out. Come up here, buddy. Hey. Our listeners are dog lovers. It's fine. I, yeah. If you don't like dogs, I, when I was on um, John Woolley's bo- uh, podcast, uh, the same thing was going on. <laughs> I need to find a better podcast spot, I guess. But, no, um, well, listen, I, yours is better I, than Ackerman's. He does his in his closet. So at least we have entertainment <laughs> in the background. Yeah. Um, but I told, I'd said, I'll, I said to that, I said, thing I'll say to yours is if you don't like dog lovers, then stop listening. But you know, if you don't like dogs, you're not welcome yeah, here. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, gosh, so uh, confusion about, we, we go switch gears from like super cerebral stuff to nonsense. Um, and confusion over intensity and VO2 max. Yeah. So, um, Basically, the, the, the field has this concept of everything is related to the VO2 max. And that is your, if you ask any person with a student with, that's majoring in exercise science, that has an exercise science degree, they're gonna, you ask them what fitness is, and their first thing is probably going to be something along the lines of the VO2 max, which is a potentially a component of, uh, of fitness. This, the, the aerobic capacity, cardiovascular endurance is one of the components of fitness as, as I currently understand it. But that's that's a incomplete definition first of all so so what we then have is a whole system of guidelines uh in in just general guideline for exercise prescription that's based upon this idea of what is that exercise stimulus in relation to the vo2 max Mm -hmm. so um coming back to the the original versions of the guidelines actually said do 55 to 65 percent of vo2 max whatever it is we don't we don't know what that means um so let's let's dumb it down a little bit or make it a little bit more accessible to physicians and, and actual just people uh, who, who might be prescribing these things or trying to follow them and say, okay, that's where you get the 30 minutes a day of moderate to vigorous intensity. So those terms moderate 
and vigorous that you see written in, in mainstream guidelines, they are anchored to uh, ranges of percentages of someone's VO2 max. Um, so that whole system is predicated on VO2 max being the be all and end all measurement of someone's fitness and therefore health. And my, my opinion is that the whole, the whole, that makes the whole system messed up because VO2 max is not actually, it's first of all, a terrible predictor of performance. Uh, if we're going to talk about like overall work capacity, not, not necessarily sport performance, but an individual's work capacity, like how much weight can you move over what distance and, and over what time that to me is a better measure of someone's ability and, and fitness. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's one problem. And then two, like you're basing all your recommendations on a percentage of something that's wrong in the first place. So it's just, it's a mess. It's a total mess. The, the other thing that the other thing that I find problematic about it from a training standpoint. So let's say I ha, let's say I do agree with this idea that 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 is that is the guiding tenet for how I prescribe fitness and exercise to people. How how do I as a trainer go about doing that with somebody? Hey, I want you to do fifty five percent. I mean, I, owning an affiliate for ten years, I can't even people to track get people to track their one RMs of weights. Right. It's, so right. it's it's just such a yeah, it's so problematic, you know. Yeah, there's there's some tools that people have come up with for like guidance and this, uh, like heart rate, for example, was it seems like I mean, heart rate has a place. I heard you, I've heard you talk about it before, and I think I, you and I use it probably similarly in the CrossFit mm -hmm. setting. But heart rate to guide percent of of this VO2 max percent effort is problematic on many levels. Most of the people that we're targeting with this these messages are not going to go about go out and buy a freaking heart rate monitor or a Garmin that can measure, you know, your heart rate on your wrist. So it's, it's just, and then the other piece too, that drives me a little bit crazy is the, the whole thing about pedometers and steps per day and the steps per day. I've been corrected many times on this steps per day are not officially part of any of the physical activity guidelines, but there's still this whole notion out there that 10,000 steps per day is all you need. And so it becomes a box that you check. And it turns out that the, yes, that it, there's, I'm not arguing with the data that says that that's, beneficial for mortality and that's the other layer to this is like what's your what's our outcome well if you're trying to add number of years you're going to spend on earth then the guidelines those we have them they're fine they're actually they're good but like what about quality of life and just like real life function and you know um and, and, yeah and basically quality of life and enjoy ability to enjoy your life and do normal activities and maybe sometimes abnormal activities without it just making you feel crushed or debilitated or, or whatever have you. Like, I don't, uh, yes, we need to be able to put the suitcase in the overhead bin, but I don't want that to be a maximum effort lift. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, that, that's, those are the kind of, so yes, I am a, as you can tell, I am definitely um, in a different wavelength in a different place um, in the academic space than um, most people, but I'm also optimistic that things are, we're slowly, slowly, slowly starting to see that, you know, the, uh, things change a little bit on this stuff too. Well, I can tell that you're, you don't fall in the typical camp because you gave a very, very brief, uh, version of the, what is CrossFit lecture just now? Like you yeah, covered most of the things that we gave in the, in the, what is cause, and I know, cause I just gave it two days ago, but, yeah. uh, and I, and I, and I love that lecture, but Dude, so man. on that note, what, what do you, cause some of the, we, we were kind of going back and forth on email and you had mentioned some, you'd asked me some questions, but oh, yeah, I've got a question. You, yeah. Yeah. So what do you think, what do you think 
but I guess what do you because you kind of live in both in both camps I do right so what do you think both sides could do better to Mm -hmm. get to that point because you know so I'm I'm largely in the camp of it's not either or it's largely Mm -hmm. and right so Mm -hmm. I, Mm -hmm. I think I think that if you are ignoring everything everything in the exercise phys world like that's just stupid but if mm-hmm. you are in that textbook and you're not paying attention to CrossFit is breaking down a lot of um, previous ideals mm-hmm. based on the training methodology that you can't just put your head in the sand on that either, which is everybody's yeah. just like, hey, high rep Olympic weightlifting is just terrible. To which point, yeah. you know, the argument is like, well, if done horribly, yes, but yeah. it's been proven that it can be wildly beneficial as well yeah for sure for sure um hmm. i spend most of my time thinking about what the the academy what we could do in the academy better because of a lot of the stuff that i've learned from the crossfit methodology but i did i think it can go both ways um the i'll start with something specific that we're currently pursuing with my research team so i have a team of four doctoral students and they each have an army of three to five undergraduate students who help them out with their research projects. And most of the, these projects are, are centered around the idea of uh, quantification of the exercise stimulus in terms of work and power, in terms of kinematics. Yeah. So, and then, and then, so if we can quantify the exercise stimulus in those terms, what's the metabolic response? So like, what's the, just to give you a really practical example of something that we're testing is like, what's the VO2 response to kettlebell swings, right? Um, and, and we have a specified protocol, like, and it's different across different projects, but, um, so the VO2 response to kettlebell swings, the VO2 response to, to burpees, to a Tabata workout, Tabata style interval workout that includes burpees and, um, kettlebell swings and rowing and dumbbell thrusters. It's really, really brutal workout actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so if we, so we have a system that we can measure like oxygen, the indirect calorimetry that you put on somebody, it's like a backpack version of. The VO2 kind of Bain style mass so for your listeners or, or viewers, if you haven't seen this kind of equipment, um, it's basically to measure the oxygen uptake response to exercise. And so what we're doing is um, using that to look at the metabolic response to exercise. But the other thing that we're going to try to do is get not only the oxidative response, the VO2 response, but the um, using the, these tools, you can actually get an estimate of the non-oxidative response, which would be the anaerobic component. So I'm really interested in moving away from the field's obsession on all things VO2 max, et cetera, et cetera, and testing this broad idea that I have, which is the anaerobic component of the exercise stimulus is directly proportional to its benefit, which is another way of saying intensity drives adaptation. Got it. Okay. So that, that was what I was going to ask you is like, what, yeah. what's the overall hypothesis? There? Yeah, that's the big, that's the big idea. So, um, I'm really excited about this work because for a couple of reasons, one is I already know what's going to happen, (laughs) (laughs) which is a really good place to be when you're you're doing a research project, you know, that you're going to, you already know what's going to happen. Two, it will be at the same time, it's going to be, I think if for the, I always make this joke to my students, the 10 people who actually read the paper, it's going to be absolutely mind blowing for them. Um, uh, it's just it's just something I'm really excited to put out there in the literature once we finally get to that to that point. And I mean, I see this as an opportunity to just shift the field's um, fundamental framework 
again, everything is all about the VO2, the VO2 max. Well, what we're going to establish is like, what's a VO2 max for something like kettlebell swings? What's a VO2 max for a burpees? As opposed to always, always, always the VO2 max is like the response to maximal effort treadmill running or cycling, stationary cycling. That's like how it's always done in the laboratory. Um, the concept that I have based on, again, exposure to all these different modalities through CrossFit is that there's actually probably a maximum work capacity for each individual modality. And of course, through industry, through the, to just trying different things in the, in the gym setting, uh, Coach Glassman was the first to do this. And now all of you guys who, and ladies who are doing CrossFit programming and coaching and so forth are seeing this every day in your business. Um, the magic comes when you combine these different elements in, in as many ways as whatever it is, as creativity will allow, as, as I think mm -hmm. the quote says. Um, so what we can do is taking a step back from all that is in the lab, we can start kind of taking a systematic approach, breaking things down sort of piece by piece, characterizing the response, documenting it, writing it up and putting it out there in the scientific literature. And then just that's, that's where I'm at right now. That's kind of like what I just said in a few minutes. It's like a five year <laughs> kind of uh, process. And is, I'm just excited is that your timeline is five years? Uh, well, um, my timeline, I'm, I'm 36 and I'll retire with, I'm eligible for retirement at 60. <laughs> um, <Okay. laughs> uh, my timeline is, and, and I, I just got, I just got, um, if you're familiar with, the, you're in the university of science, so you're probably familiar with this. I just got tenure about a year ago. Um, oh, congrats. So thank you, man. And so it's a, it's actually a really cool career kind of phase for me is that I can um, kind of think really, really long range about our research direct direction and yeah, the conversation about tenure and what's all involved with preparing for that uh, is, is too out of the scope of this conversation, I think. But just briefly, for the first five, six years of my academic career, there's just a lot of pressure to publish really, really quickly and get, get some research funding and, and, and show that basically prove your worth to the university. And that promotes a lot of kind of short-term thinking, like one to two year, three year max timeline. And I'm just really enjoying um, the opportunity to think really long range and like have a kind of a big vision. And what I'm describing right now for you is that it's a lot of that vision. That's so, really cool. And you've done some other stuff <laughs> with regard to uh, type two diabetes research as well, haven't you? Yeah, that's been, that, as I mentioned a while ago, my, uh, my main interest is in um, exercise and more and more also nutrition, but I'm a trained as an exercise physiologist, interested in the role of exercise in the prevention and treatment of um, chronic disease, uh, particularly cardiometabolic disease, so type 2 diabetes falls under that, and um, the vascular complications of chronic disease. So my training, this probably has been some stuff I should have talked about at the very beginning, background stuff, but my training is in exercise physiology and vascular biology. Um, so I did my postdoc work in vascular cell biology. So, okay. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and then, so we're, when you were doing some of that stuff, how were, how were, as far as like, when you're looking at type two diabetes and the effect, mm -hmm. are you looking at the effect of exercise on type two diabetics? Is mm -hmm. that just exercise related? Is it exercise and nutrition related or what in specifically my, was your research book? My on? work, uh, I have not done the nutrition piece in the, setting of type 2 diabetes. What we were doing for, we had some funding for uh, kind of a series of projects looking at actually the combination of exercise and uh, metformin, first line pharmacologic therapy for type yep. 2 diabetes uh, on 
postprandial glucose regulation. So the, the regulation of the glucose, blood glucose response to a high carbohydrate meal. Um, so that was a, some experiments that we did in the lab. Uh, doctoral student let, named Melissa Erickson did that work for her dissertation. Um, and yeah, so that was, a, that was a really cool, she did two studies. One was, met, one was with metformin and one, the other was with um, the second tier diabetes drugs, uh, things that like when metformin is no longer effective, the physician will um, prescribe on top of metformin. So we call it metformin plus. Um, uh, so like, yeah, there's like this whole list of uh, drugs that, that physicians will kind of pull out of the, pull out of the pharmacologic hopper when that doesn't work. Do you, have, so, do you listen to uh, Joe Rogan at all by chance? I have. Um, I some of those some of those episodes are a little too long for me. Uh, but yeah, when he, um, it's a lot of times. So I have a friend like send me a, hey man, you got to check out this episode. Did you uh, by chance listen? I got to go back and pull the guy's name up. I want to say it was either Nick something, but he was uh, he's like a specializes in aging, and uh, he was talking about the effects of metformin on aging. Like he like he prescribes himself metformin. Uh, it basically. I his 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 contention is that it reduces the effects of aging yeah th there's this whole thought out there that metformin can be used for that's one of the off-target effects of metformin is uh one, one is for weight loss and the other like the big idea is like you're talking about the kind of an anti-aging thing and uh yeah i gotta i gotta look at it more carefully but my quick kind of this is me being skeptical again the effect has got to be really just minuscule, like really minor. Because, I mean, just like the, what we know about the biological mechanism of metformin, um, it suppresses hepatic glucose output a little bit. It's mildly, uh, will, will promote a little bit of weight loss. I think that's mainly because of its negative GI effects, reduces appetite. Yeah. Uh, there might be some other effect for that. But anyway, I mean, yeah, I would love to see that in comparison to like what lifestyle does for for the same thing for aging, right? And if you look at the magnitude of the two effects, it's going to be just no question that lifestyle is more effective. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you is like, yeah. so you you uh, okay. teach CrossFit in your classes, right? Um, I do. I do. I borrow uh, some concepts, <laughs> I would say, from from what you all teach at the level one, and then the so like for example, I do teach fitness. The definition of fitness, I, the way I've done it and I have this whole list of learning objectives uh the first learning objective on my syllabus for my exercise physiology course is what is fitness and I teach I, I even simplify it a little bit from the CrossFit definition I just say just think of fitness as work capacity I don't really get into the broad time modal domains because I'm not going to be coaching people on specific movements and all that yeah. stuff but work capacity and I do get into definitely definitely get into time domains because I mean, I teach a couple of different classes, but especially like in the graduate metabolism course that I teach, the first, we just finished the first part of the course, which was like six or eight, eight weeks or so. That's all about the metabolic energy systems. And from a coaching, like transfer the, the, the science stuff to the coaching realm, um, metabolic energy systems is equal to time domains, yep. right? Like just, just conceptually. So, and most of those students are going to go on to careers in strength and conditioning. That's like their goal. So we really spend a lot of time on that. And I borrow, borrow slash have modified, adapted a lot of things from CrossFit. So for, yeah, so for those people who maybe not have taken the level one, um, <clears throat> what he's referring to is that is the third model that we, that we use in the what is fitness lecture, which is the metabolic pathways. So there's 
phosphagen, glycolytic, and anaerobic or oxidative, um, however you want to reference it. But, um, but then when we, where those models match up in the definition of, of fitness is, um, when the definition of fitness is work capacity across broad time, that's where the, that, mm -hmm. that bioenergetics comes in. So yeah. that's where, um, that's where that happens. So that's really cool that you use yeah. that. And obviously we do a very dumbed down version of that because it's, just, oh, no, it's, it's so time constrained, but it's time constrained, um, but it's good. Um, let me ask you, I'll ask you the same question that I just asked on an essay for my students. Okay. okay. I'm really curious what you, what you do here. Okay. You had one metabolic pathway. Did you had to pick one metabolic pathway to live with and only that one for the rest of your life? Which one would you, would you use? And I'd really have to chew on that because of, of my limited <laughs> understanding of, yeah, yeah. My limited <laughs> understanding of metabolic pathways is, I guess you'd really struggle to live your daily life without the oxidative pathway. Cause I'm just kind of sitting in that all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess I would, ha I would have to choose the, you know, the glycolytic pathway for the same reasons that I, w that we talk about in the course is just because of the, it has the most carryover between the three. Um, yes. you know, it allows me to go short, medium and long. Um, you know, I don't know if that's a sufficient answer because I, it's probably one of those things where, you know, it, you do, you need all three, but yep. if I, if I, if I was forced to choose and pick one, I would probably have to take that, that middle one with the, with the broadest carryover between the three. Yeah. Uh, well that's, it's, your answer is, is awesome. First of all, you put, you passed the test. Um, okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually what, what I tell the students, I don't tell them this at the time. I don't know. If, I can't remember when I get present this part to it, but there's no wrong answer or right answer. It's just like, tell me what you think. And then, and then talk, basically it's a, it's a prompt to get them to talk through what they know about metabolism. It's also turns out to be such a hard question. I gave it, I gave it as an essay in class once and I'd said never again because it just like stressed them out too much. So now <laughs> I, give a, I give it as a, I give it, I think I give them three or four weeks as a take home exam. It's one of two questions on a big take home exam that they take. Yeah. Um, and it's so fun to read the responses and the rationale. So turns out, and every year, actually, I change my answer. This year, my answer is actually is actually exactly the same one that you just gave. Is that okay? The 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 anaerobic glycolytic pathway does have the most has the greatest sort of breadth of it covers like if you think of it like as a bell curve, and most of my activities are going to fall under that time window. Like I need mm -hmm. to walk for anywhere from one to three minutes. And yeah, I might have to like I'm thinking about walking through the airport. It would be like an interval style walk through the airport. Like start go 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 and then stop and, and recover. Go 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 stop and recover. The anaerobic system is the only one that produces the byproducts that feed back on the, on it to tell metabolism to stop. So that's why it hurts. Um, but then the other question, the counter to that is like, all right, well, without the, without the phosphogen system, for example, how are you going to get out of bed? Right? Yeah. Like, I can't do anything that requires me to just really quickly do something yep. either. Like, how do you, like, how do you go, you go, you go to the bathroom. How do you get off the toilet? You're stuck. So, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely not going to get myself out of any sort of dangerous scenario. Nope, you know? nope, um, no, no, no. Once you don't read about that, Jason. Anyway, it's probably longer than you want to talk about this particular thing, but um, the, no, the I love it. Is, I love this stuff. <laughs> we're like way, we've lost some listeners, but um, the the cool thing is like you can't reduce it. The, the, that's the point of the the, the assignment to actually derive at this conclusion. It's an impossible question, and you cannot reduce the the human metabolic engine to uh, um into like sub compartments like that mm -hmm. and that's the, the 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 screwed up thing about how we teach it is that we teach it in compartments like one pathway at a time and we have students memorize every freaking step of the pathway all the different 
enzymes and their reactants and products and all that stuff. And you got to like regurgitate on the exam. And that does nothing to teach about how useful the information is in a coaching setting or in an in a, in a educational setting where it comes back to like, okay, your power output for this particular time point, that's going to kind of be where you've got all three, like in, say six minutes or something, you kind of got all three systems interacting together to, to produce yeah. maximal power output. Um, and so, that, that, anyway, so what uh, you're, what you're talking about is, awesome. yeah, what you're talking about is kind of my, I don't want to say my beef cause I don't really have a beef, but, but kind of uh, a counterpoint against um, when people <clears throat> kind of bash CrossFit when, when, when compared to something like the CSCS, you know, so the CSCS, I mean, I've taken that test. Like I, I, I don't know that anybody's qualified to do anything by passing that test. And, not, and I'm not to, and I, yeah, and I'm not to, and that's not to bash the test, right? So like there, there's a ton of information on there. Um, but I don't know that simply going in there, taking that test and leaving there would, would, would suggest that you are prepared to uh, walk I, at least not when compared to the level one, I think you're at least, per, at least given some, some practical skills. And we would even say that when you leave the level one, that's not the end. Obviously you're obviously still sure. not prepared. Like you're constantly Absolutely. going. Mm -hmm. um, but it just, I guess it just probably bugs me a little bit that that CSCS is kind of used as the standard uh, and they really kind of poo poo on CrossFit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I okay. think it's because there's not enough people that know enough about each. And yeah. Like, well, I've, I've taken both. And I'm like, I would, I would take the level one if you're like, Hey, in a, in a week you have to work with athletes. And I'm like, right. okay, then I'll just take that one. You know? So <laughs> yeah. I've never taken the CSCS, but I get a lot of questions from students. Like actually just this past week, I had a former student come up to me uh, after one of my classes, we were kind of like passing each other going in different directions. And she goes, Oh, Hey, I've been meaning to ask you, do you have any advice for me? I'm taking the CSCS. And I said, well, you know, never taken it but here from what i know um just uh start training your memorization muscles you know like that's all it is right so like, really just double down on the facts and and the, their lists of facts and they're, i guess they're in different sections by topic mm -hmm. and memorize. i struggled because i like a, a lot of it is just i'm reading the questions and i know from my experience and from training and from researching and stuff like that i know how i want to answer but i also know that that's not the answer they're looking for like I know right. that I'm like, you want something very specific here, which I disagree with vehemently, but again, this is a test. So I'll play the game type deal. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know if I could do that, man. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's really kind of annoying. Um, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, but how that being said, I do think that, and this is something we do recommend and encourage at the end of every seminar is that people mm -hmm. should seek out those types of credentials. Like whether you think they're useful or not, kind of going mm -hmm. back to where you started before, which is kind of like questioning your own thoughts, questioning your yeah. theories about things. Like, I, stuff, I, yeah. I don't, I don't think you should kind of, and again, to use the same term, I don't think you should be like poo pooing on something that you really don't have any, any experience with. Sure. You know, don't, don't say that this credential is garbage if you haven't sat right. and taken a test or done that, you know, and, and, and I try not to do that. So I try not to speak to things that I don't have any experience with. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good practice. It's a good, um, yeah. Well, I'm a little older these days and I've done that in the past. Yeah. Where I, made that you know, mistake, it, yeah. It, it, it exceeded my knowledge base and I'm like, okay. For sure. I mean, I made that mistake with, I've made the same mistake with like using my PhD, for example, when I was a newly minted PhD, uh, I thought that meant that I knew about 
what it meant to be fit. <laughs> and I can tell you that <laughs> it does not. It does. Yeah, you can actually. I, in hindsight, I actually described those. There was this time period where I felt it's actually really funny. I followed the guidelines. I just followed the thirty to sixty minutes of moderate intensity physical activity per day. Kind of check the box. Really, really boring stuff. Like I would get. I remember getting up at four a.m. to go ride the stationary bike for forty-five minutes before I had a really busy day, like in a lab or something. It was about six years of that, and I uh, got fat, got super out of shape. Um, and I thought, but I thought I was fit. I thought I was like, you know, I was doing what the guidelines say. I'm going to be fine. But I, no, God, I was like, I want to say I had a DEXA scan that put me at over 30% body fat at one point. And now oh, wow. I walk around at like 12% or something, you know, 10 to 12%. So, I was going to say, you're, you're pretty lean. Well, it's, you know, CrossFit. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's, it's wild. Um, so if, if you were going to recommend some of that literature, you know, <laughs> kind of getting into the academia, what do you think would be most beneficial for the average CrossFit coach? Gosh, uh, man, I don't know if there's a good re single good resource. Um, man, I'd have to, I have to like, that's a great question and I'm somewhat unprepared to give you. And I, I guess, I mean, I guess you like, I asked because yeah. there's, there's so many different realms there. So, I mean, you could go kind of just straight stick, you know, physiology, which mm -hmm. is uber nerdy, which yeah. largely is, is kind of useless, uh, like on the coaching floor. Like it, it's information we need to know, but I don't know that it helps me from a practical standpoint. Right. 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 Um, and then there's the more strength and conditioning stuff, which is a lot of, um, you know, learning the, technical complexities or the, the anatomy of movements, the anatomy of the body, the, mm -hmm. the programming aspect. Like if, if you were to like, if, again, so to throw the question back on you, if yeah. you only had to pick one out of all of that, what do you think would be something that would really add the most uh, to a coach's knowledge base and allow them to help Man, train athletes? A total cop, it's a total cop out. Cause I can't think of anything that I wouldn't find the answer that I would looking, that I was looking for, like in the, just in the CrossFit journal. Right. Like that's, that's super really, interesting. Those are the bet. Like it's for, for that, the blending of the, the two kind of sizes we're talking about, like it, something that's practical for coaches and useful for coaches, but also has a theoretical and scientific basis. Like those early CrossFit journal articles, man. Um, that plus there's a, uh, I don't have like any on my shelf in my office, mm -hmm. but there's, there are some really good books, good resources from some of the, sort of sub communities of CrossFit. So for example, like there's some good books on like Olympic weightlifting, like some of the stuff you're talking about, like uh, fundamentals of like anatomy, functional anatomy as it relates to uh, sport performance and, you know, uh, Olympic lifting and gymnastics. My understanding is that there's some, I've heard better answers to your question for those specific realms. And again, I don't mm -hmm. have like the list of them handy, but, um, but for like physio, we don't have the equivalent to that that's useful in any way, really for anybody uh, that, that I would recommend. Like we just don't have that in our field. Like it's just a glaring hole that we don't really have much that's useful. Do, you, do you struggle knowing that as a, as a teacher for like, you're putting people through their doctorate and their, and their master's yeah. degree? Well, we, we do. Um, yes, definitely. And that's, I'm, um, you know, the, the, some of the research direction that I'm talking about, like moving forward that, that, there's multiple things that influence like when a professor decides what the direction of their lab is going to go. One of them is look at the problems that currently exist. Like where's our knowledge end? Like, and also what are the, 
flaws in our pre-existing approaches. And when we can identify those, then we can identify the you know appropriate next steps for moving things forward. So yeah, the, part of the reason for like pursuing CrossFit-informed, um, hy hypothesis-driven research, uh, where I already know what the answer is going to be, <laughs> um, yeah. is because of because of what you, to, the answer to your question does it bother me? Sure, absolutely. So I can so I can I can sit around and complain about it, which I do. Um, or I can, and also I can actually do something, right? So that's what, that's, that's what we're doing. Um, then the, there's other like segments though, for like the, the, the students that we have in our various specific aspects of our program. Um, so for most of our undergraduate students, they're not going on to careers in coaching. Um, our undergraduate students who are getting degrees in, uh, exercise and sports science, probably 90, 95% of them are going on to PT school. At least that's their goal. And our placement rate is pretty good. So we have, we have a lot of uh, athletes here because we're we're kind of like at the doorstep of Old Dominion University. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Phil Sabatini, who's our weightlifting coach, he's a lecturer in the uh, exercise science department and yeah. um, cool. or exercise phys department. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but uh, but you're right. A lot of them, probably eight out of ten that come in here, are are PT students or trying to go to PT school. Yep. Yeah, that's that's like so typical. Yeah. Um, and then we have, like I mentioned, we have a strength and conditioning cohort, small, we have a very small strength and conditioning program that we're working with. There's a lot of room for growth and improvement in that department, uh, in that group. Um, and I'm working really hard to, at least in the, I teach the classes for that. And I'm working hard to shore up my instruction, um, in that regard to make sure that these people know, at least, at least leave my class knowing the definition of fitness, like a, knowing that well, I, what I do is like they come in with a degree in exercise science in my class, and they don't, they can't actually define fitness, right? And it shows like, hey, how? <laughs> but don't you guys have exercise science degrees? You can't define. And I, the other thing I ask them, and I don't have a good one for this, is define exercise, um, right? Yeah, and that's a term that that, um, and I've got a few like kind of candidate definitions that I'm, you know, kind of brainstorming about. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, like, it just just to show like we we have it's not a concrete, like really established science. It's, 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 uh, we're, we're, we've got a lot of room for growth and yeah. And actually, you know who I look to for a lot of this stuff, it's going to, I'm going to sound like a, like a fanboy or whatever, but I don't care. Um, this is like a, a scientist respecting another scientist is, um, Greg's stuff that he's talking about or like when he gives talks at the, the level ones, uh, the MDL ones, and um, what he's putting out a lot on the dot com and so forth about consensus science versus um, real science or postmodern science versus modern science. That has significantly impacted my whole framework. Um, my, everything I like, my whole approach to science is 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 evolving in large part because of that influence. It's can like, you can it? you elaborate on that a little? I, I, we yeah. touched on it briefly when I talked to um, Shaka mm -hmm. and her husband yeah. uh, Scott about that. Yeah. And but can you? And, and they were that was a little bit more like mainstream medicine is where they were talking sure. about it. But can you talk about that a little bit from the kind of exercise science side of the house? Yeah. Well, what it is is like a philosophy of science that cuts across all disciplines. So absolutely, um, they he talks about it primarily in the brought in the broad health sciences and how it totally corrupts medicine. And that's why we have this mess of chronic disease. Um, but it, the concept applies to 
really anything. So, and he's been critical of exercise science in this regard too. So, um, modern science versus postmodern science. We'll start there. So, what we have now is postmodern science, and what postmodern science does is say, "Hey, what's let's all get together. We have, let's say we're sit around. We need to come up with um, fundamentals, like fundamental ideas, and maybe recommendations uh, about." Our practice that are that are uh, maybe practical for the rest of the world or things that uh, we all can agree to be true and that word agree is the key uh, the key word there so it's like we sit around and talk about stuff that we can all agree on and we call that science and so we have consensus statements that emerge and these are the these are the things that become best practices um, how we should do things in our field and how like for example these are how people should exercise we have the mainstream physical activity guidelines new new edition just released in 2018 that's the 30 minutes a day five days a week 150 minutes of modern intensity physical activity per week and that's a consensus statement based on the totality of the evidence well what that becomes though the problem with that is it becomes dogma right and dogma is the antithesis of science, right? So consensus science actually leads to the opposite functionality of what science is supposed to be in the first place, which is actually discovering new things, um, discovering new truths and, and challenging ideas. And so, yeah, you asked me, like, are you, um, you asked if I was in a, in a rough spot or do I get like, in, do I have any pushback? Well, you know what, if I do, that's actually a, a probably a good sign. If I'm in a rough position, that's a good sign that I'm doing something right because it's like challenging dogma and challenging the consensus view which is that 30 minutes a day of aerobic exercise is fine, right? Like that, basically that is, if I summarize what my field's view is, 30 minutes of low to moderate intensity steady state cardio is really all you need to do and you're gonna be okay, right? Um, that's the view of my field. And I'm saying, no, I don't think that's sufficient as a, as a, at least as a message. Yes, it's gonna help you to not die early, too early, but your life still might suck. Anyway, um, coming back to the whole thing of uh, the different types of science. Um, so real science or, or modern science is something more like physics or math. Um, and this is where, where you really see this played out as an industry where you have a problem to solve. Otherwise you're, for example, your business may not be successful. Greg was not handcuffed by the constraints of modern science when he was developing his fitness methodology that we now know as CrossFit. What he was, what he needed to do was to find something that worked. And what he did was a pull from all these different disciplines, gymnastics, uh, monostructural conditioning, and weightlifting, combined them in a bunch of different ways and found that like, actually there's, it doesn't really matter um, how many ways, the, the, the sky's the limit as far as my creativity, how many ways I combine these things, you're gonna produce this powerful stimulus, but there's, this, there's uh, some key things you gotta go fast and hard, even high intensity, and the movement should be primarily the big movements, right? The functional movements. Well, that's what he doesn't, we don't, from his view, I think you don't necessarily need a research study to, to, to support that when it's been borne out um, in industry, right? Because industry supports, so his, his, his takeaway is that industry really supports the real, quote unquote, real science, yeah. modern science, discovery of solutions to problems um, that have, you know, they're meeting a practical demand. He'll, he'll, I've heard him say that this is the process that developed the, the TV in your house, the flat screen TV, the, these computers that we're talking on, you know, using to communicate right now from Athens, Georgia to Virginia. Um, 
put man on the moon, right? Like those are, that is modern science. That's real science as opposed to consensus science where like we sit around and argue about stuff and then we come out with something that we can all agree on and it doesn't actually promote discovery. It actually, if you take it to its, to its full end, it will actually suppress discovery. And not only does it not only promote discovery, the thing that I struggle with and I, and I'm not, I'm not a super sharp guy, but the, the thing that I struggle with is, is it's not producing results either. So yeah, if, yeah, if yeah, this exactly. is, if this is consensus and this is what everybody agrees upon, then mm -hmm. I'm still struggling, struggling to understand why, if this is effective by that mm -hmm. definition, why chronic disease rates continue to skyrocket. Yeah, again, this is a whole nother thing about like, okay, well, people have bad discipline and they're eating poorly. I can agree on that too. However, sure. we're going to have the same discussion about no. dietary guidelines as well. So um, yeah, that, that's no. always what I struggle with is like what Absolutely. you're telling me is not matching the result that we're seeing in society. Well, and I went through like my evolution of my like training years, from, like academic training years from my undergraduate degree in exercise science and the master's PhD and postdoc. We kept saying the same stuff over and over again. We kept doing studies that supported the same freaking consensus conclusions over and over and over again. And then the, the next iteration was to get a bigger study and a more a better statistically powered study and a more expensive study that said the same, that gave the same conclusions that this amount of aerobic, primarily aerobic activity, maybe look at some weights once in a while, but don't do too much weight training. Um, right. That's basically the, the, I'm yeah. getting people a little bit, but um, the, we just kind of, it's just like this on, on repeat, this message that's on repeat and it's not, it's producing the opposite of results. Things are getting worse. And so that's, there's my frustration with the field. Exactly what you just said is this, we're just like running ourselves into the same brick wall over and over and over again. And no, no one's looking around saying, Hey, we should maybe change something. Right. Is there, do you see any sort of light at the end of the tunnel there? I mean, I know you said earlier that you, you feel that things are starting to turn a little bit, but at, mm. at what point do you think this, this ship begins to course correct? It's a generational shift. Um, right now, a lot of our leadership is kind of the old guard. Um, and that's not to get, I might, I might, that's where I could get offensive to people and I don't mean to be, but, um, I, I think it's, you know, you've got a kind of a younger group of, of thought leaders kind of finding their career, their, their strides in their careers. And I think there's a lot less opposition to new ideas, uh, just like in anything else. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that, and, and I think as we've talked about over email and we think we, we changed the messages, um, I'm seeing this play out in the, even younger generation than, than like us, like my students, for example. Um, I, in the five years I've been doing CrossFit, just in at the societal level, there's been a dramatic, in my mind, shift in the uh, acceptance of CrossFit. And it's not as controversial as it even was in 2015. Mm -hmm. um, for example, I, when my, one of the first things I did in the academic space with CrossFit at all was I created a first year uh, freshman seminar at the university on controversies and trends in fitness and health that's the title of the seminar and the idea was to sit around and we could like talk about crossfit and how controversial it is with the students well <laughs> and that was basically kind of how it was for maybe the first year but even then um the, the there wasn't as much like vigorous debate as i maybe anticipated and even now it's like everyone all the students I just we just had our last day of that class today um i would say that this group they um no one's really like arguing about cross. They're 18, right? They've never, yeah. you, actually, if you think about it, they've, the, the whole, whole time they've been alive, CrossFit has been a thing, right? The entire, 
to yeah, think about that is funny and some people bring it up because we have some kind of anecdotes in the in the in the lecture for specifically for the crossfit uh for the what is crossfit lecture about the traditional gym setting yeah. and there are people coming into crossfit seminars now who don't know anything other than crossfit they don't they, right they don't know like that exactly i have that same kind of dissonance with them is that like i i grew up in the in the Globo gym doing, you know, buys and tries on, that was Tuesdays, Mondays was chest and back. You know, so, um, <laughs> right. Like that's, that, that's what I think of as the gym. And, and for them, that's like one of 17 different flavors of exercise. The others yeah. are cross, CrossFit and all the other boutique fitness things. So that's actually something we talk about in the course now is like boutique fitness and like what the next trend is going to be, how they kind of come and go. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's neat, but that's, that's an evolution in the conversation with my students that's happened over the last couple of years. So coming back to your original question, like, do, what do I see? Um, is, is it getting better? I think it's going to get in the future. I'm optimistic that things will get better because thoughts and ideas and practices and the, the whole industry is evolving so fast. Um, science is this always the slowest to catch on to anything, to everything. <laughs> Um, but I think that's starting to happen. I'm not the, I'm not the only professor of exercise science doing research around CrossFit by any stretch. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'm one of the later ones to the game. There's a guy named Yuri Fato at, uh, just down the street at Kennesaw State University. He's probably the, I would, I view him as the thought leader in the space. He's got probably 20 some publications on okay. uh, CrossFit. Yeah. He's, he's a, he's a good dude. Um, smart guy. Where, uh, where, where are most of those published? Do you know? Um, there's several journals. Uh, a go-to journal for him seems to be one that's just called Sports. It's a relatively new yep. journal, easy to find because yep. uh, it's got a cool name. Um, <laughs> and yeah, he's got and he his actually his biggest contribution, I would say, and I think it has gotten some uh, attention, but I think needs more is on the in, on the injuries thing. He's got a, a paper that shows with four thousand resp respondents to a survey that he put out um injury rates in, in crossfit and it's it's really like it's unimpressive <laughs> there's just not that much injury that happens i can't yeah. quote specific numbers because it's not in front of me but um actually i made an instagram post on that study when it came out uh so i should i should remember it better but um yeah. there and he also he was able to track like there's a certain time window in the athlete's journey like when they're most prone to injuries and stuff like early on if you go Basically, what I took away from it was it's the guy who was probably like in his 40s or 50s who was fit and strong in the 1990s that comes in and does too much CrossFit too fast. He's the one that's most likely to get injured. That was like, that's a that's a that's a bro science interpretation of his data. <laughs> yeah, and that's and and if and if you have done any sort of re you understand that basically you had somebody who had a little bit more mature training age took that time mm -hmm. off, which basically brings them back to zero. As yes. far as training. And they're just like, yeah. but I can still do it. And this is when yeah. we talk about this because that is one of the factors we have to take into account when we're discussing intensity, yeah. because psychologically he still lives in that state where yeah, he is fit. Yes. Yeah. He's like, yeah. I can still do yes. it, but but physically, yeah, yeah, this is a terrible idea at this point. Yeah. And that's yeah. just something we need to understand from a training standpoint, is we need to identify that person, that guy mm -hmm. or that girl, and say, Listen, I, I understand we'll get there, but I need you to pump the brakes. Yeah. I need you to pump the brakes. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, listen, man, I, I could do this all day, uh, but we might be oh, putting some people to sleep. So we've been talking um, for a while, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, this, no, no, this is good. I love it. This is, this yeah. is perfect. This is exactly what this is for. And I hope, I, I really hope people, the big takeaway from this is, you know, the, the idea here is to marry both the academia 
and the practical portion of this and then let things play out because mm -hmm. the reality is like CrossFit is, is unmatched in its ability to produce, you know, fitness on a scale that we've never seen before, both in an individual and at mass. But, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be exploring other ideas. Right. Right. You know, so, and I think yeah. people like you are, are really bringing that to the forefront because you do have a lot to offer the CrossFit community. And I really do think people should be seeking out people like you and people like Lon Kilgore and reading more of the yeah, journal, uh, you know, and just stuff like that in, in yeah. order, because I, I, I think the demise of the CrossFit community, uh, in my opinion, would lie in the fact that we fail to continue to educate ourselves. And we just rely on that CrossFit is effective. And I don't think that is a good enough stance to combat the people who want to come in and, and bash CrossFit. Yeah, the concern I would have with that, and I'm not, I'm not, I do have my level one, but I only have like maybe, I think it was like six months of volunteer coaching experience. So I can't speak to like expertise or virtuosity in coaching with any authority. But I would say what you just said is, is a recipe for stagnation and staleness. And uh, I mean, that'd be, that'd be fun if I were to ever um, have my own podcast and ask you a bunch of questions. Um, I would ask like, we can set it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, what do you, like, do you see a lot of that? And, and um, why do you think that is like, kind of seems like a lot of coaches can maybe just fall into the same pattern of doing the same old, same old and not really innovating. And there, I think there's also some burnout uh, in coaching sometimes. I think it's um, a lot of that. And I think, largely what has made the affiliate community very strong it is simultaneously its greatest weakness, which is like the freedom to do whatever you want, which largely leads people to rest on their laurels and, and sets them up for a massive amount of um, potential failure down the road, but just, but makes them very vulnerable to things going on, which is like, they're not paying attention to how to execute the program better. You know, and Greg and Greg talked about this at the at the summit when um, somebody was talking. They used the term functional fitness, and basically his, his basically his response was, "Hey, it's not not CrossFit just because you you decided to do it smarter." You know? And that and that would be and that would be my pitch to everybody is just like, listen, the level one, the level two, the level three, which you're doing some work for, the level four, like th that's not the end. This is not over. You know, right. it's, it's, it's forever. Like you said earlier, you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm done when I retire when I'm 60. And I'm like, that's well, I, where I think coaches should live. Yeah. I, I probably won't retire. I don't, I don't see that in my, in my cards. Yeah. I probably won't either. <laughs> right. You just kind of like, it's, it's, um, constantly evolving, right? Like constantly yeah. getting, trying to get better. So. And I'm constantly figuring out different ways to explain it or understand it better. And, and when people ask about the level one or the level two or taking the level three, uh -huh. I just tell them it's very basic reread and read the level one trainer guide until you feel like you thoroughly understand those concepts and then read it again. And then start over. Yeah. yeah. And then start over. I mean, I've been, I've, I've been taught, I don't know how many seminars I've taught, but every time I sit and I watch somebody else give a lecture, I understand it a little bit better. And I've given those yeah. lectures hundreds of times. Well, you know, I think actually that's one of the cool things. Um, when I hear you and uh, the other Jason talk on this show, um, that's one of the cool things that I, I get from pretty much every episode is you guys, you guys actually bring a lot to the table and bring a lot to the community through the conversations you're having um, with each other and uh, with your guests, um, because there's a lot of wealth of uh, knowledge and, and good stuff in all your experience with the, with coaching. 
And um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan, dude. I, you guys are pumping out rest of, uh, uh, episodes every day and I'm like refreshing my Spotify. Like, hey, is there a new episode today? Because <laughs> uh, I, I, I just love listening to what you guys have to talk about on my, I got a 15 minute commute to work every day. So like the drive time is, it won't be for this episode. This one's yeah. too long. The drive time is between that and my trip to the gym. I can usually get an episode a day. So that's cool. Uh, I I appreciate that. And like 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 I was saying, all the stuff that you guys like those kinds of insights about like virtuosity and excellence and coaching. Um, as a fan, I appreciate that because it does it does kind of carry over to other parts of life and my work and everything. So um, I appreciate it. Yeah, I've I've uh, I've failed to find many <laughs> things that I can't take the concepts from CrossFit and just lay them into business or life or anything else. Yeah. Like it's it's pretty cool stuff. So it's focus on the fundamentals and pursue excellence, and that's kind of yeah. the bottom line. Well, listen, brother, this has been yeah. awesome. I actually have to go coach class right now. Oh, shoot. Um, okay. Yeah, no, 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 you're good. I, yeah. Again, I've been doing I, this long enough. I can just run out there and do it real quick. Oh, but uh, okay, where deal. can people, where can people find you on social media? Uh, I'm on Instagram at gains by Dr. J it's gains with a Z. Uh, by of course, Dr. J. what else would it be with? <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, and then, uh, that's probably the best way. And I, I also have an email gains by Dr. J at Gmail. Cool. Um, that's what I use for like my non-university stuff. So, yep. yeah. So uh, if you guys want to reach out to him and nerd out about exercise fizz or any of that other stuff, please hit him up. And if you got questions about any of the concepts we talked about in this, um, cause some of this stuff was pretty deep, but, uh, again, man, thanks. This was super cool. And I just appreciate what guys like you and the academia and the academic world and academia in general are doing to kind of push this message forward. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. This is a lot of fun. Awesome, brother. Appreciate All it. All right. Take care. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, one more time, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and send us any feedback you have to at Best Hour of Their Day on Instagram and Best Hour of Their Day at gmail.com if you want to shoot us an email. We appreciate you. Thanks again. Have a great rest of your day.